dangerously close. Welcome to the Labor Day Spooktacular, where we believe Labor Day means more than just saving up to 50% off select mattresses of top-rated brands or up to $800 off adjustable sets, including $300 worth of gift accessories. We believe that Labor Day is also about crawling into the dark underbelly of capitalism and extracting an entire podcast episode from its organs like some kind of media parasite. So if you like your podcast, like you like your quarterly financial reports, full of positive surprises and dependent on the labor of the working class, then this episode is for you. This Labor Day weekend, I will be visited by four guests of Podcast Past to help me learn the spirit of Labor Day. Labor Day, Labor Day. Yes, good, good. I'll continue. What if I was okay. like, leave? Oh, well, no. what I was okay. gonna say was, <clears throat> welcome to the Labor Day Spooktacular where we believe Labor Day means more than just saving up to $50 on a Milana Stella Aroma Stovetop Espresso Maker. It means so much more. And I, uh, <laughs> I have to bring up that you were the, the first person that I had gotten in contact with about doing this because it was such short notice because I had the idea like on Labor Day weekend. Uh, Which was yesterday, right? Yeah. And then uh, yeah. everybody, <laughs> but uh, everybody was able to do it. I, I only had one person that had to back out and that was my friend Dominic who says yes to literally everything and well, what's he doing what's he, doing uh, so he both his daughters they go to both their schools got shut down for uh delta variant outbreaks oh, and then okay. his, I... his girlfriend's had a surgery so he's like at home with like oh god you know, I was trying to set myself up for a joke, but just fucking forget it. You know what I mean? I'm just fine. He's I'm got sorry, kids, somebody's sorry. Got surgery. I'm just like, oh, you know what? Never mind. Um, but thoughts and prayers with Dominic. <laughs> he's, he sounded like he was at the end of his rope. I was like, I was because you know I've known him forever, and he always says yes. He's he's done, he did like the Halloween spectacular. He had a whole episode that I gave him. He did a bonus episode, and I was like, of course he'll do this. And he was yeah. like. He's like, dude, I just want to be alone, <laughs> but he can't be. <laughs> that's a, wow. So that sounds like a page out of my diary, actually. So, but what I did want to ask you, oh, I have a couple more things, just a couple compliments to uh, share with you because we haven't really spoken much. This is the first time I've seen you since uh, your episode, like through Zoom, of course, because you're in London. Yes. Uh, but on that note, after our episode, I actually got several messages from people that live in the UK saying that we nailed it on brexit that we were oh, absolutely nice. correct oh hell yeah and i you know it's funny i don't i still don't even know what it is so i think that's great i feel <laughs> I, mean, we, I guess we could go back and listen to our episode because i still don't all i know is that we were just kind of like pontificating like as americans yeah. being like yeah brexit's like this and it's like that and then several uk residents were like no you guys you got it in a nutshell it. it's not much more than what we said nice <laughs> Oh, good. I like that. I like that. So I'll go listen to the episode and I'll learn something for myself. Isn't that nice? Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, one more thing, too, about uh, to learn about yourself is when I posted uh, up that you were returning for the Labor Day Spooktacular, I got several messages of people being like, hell yes. Oh, that's great. Oh, you good. actually have one of the most beloved episodes of all time. It was so crazy because oh. you did that and it was it, like just skyrocketed. It was like in the top 10 episodes like almost immediately. 
That's really, you know, that's nice to hear because I remember that weekend and I mean, not to like do this to you, but I think I was like, I was in a really dark place because of like the stuff that was happening to me. And I was like low key plotting my suicide. (laughs) (laughs) And then I like, I recorded that episode with you. I was like, just act normal. I was like, just act as normal as possible. So I sort of blacked at the experience, but then the next day I kind of like started like doing weird self-care woo-woo shit. So I'm like, oh, nice. Yeah, no, no, it's like, good. Like it's crystals good. and yoni eggs and shit. Um, no, I, I know I look like I got one of those in my pussy, but no, it just <laughs> it, it kind, of, it's on, it's on the same vein. I haven't yet like started, you know, using like plants to heal my like energy yet, but I did like start meditating and trying like Wim Hof breathing and stuff like that, just to kind of like, you know, I don't know, get in touch with like the per, the person. You know, we all have like a self inside of us, and I don't think oh, yeah. I've ever known mine. So, <laughs> you know, so yeah. So, but it's nice to hear. I'm glad. I hope. Uh, good. Good. Thank you. That I'll uh, I'll put that in my like fucking gratitude journal. I don't have. Well, and on an, another positive note, I was gonna say like, as you know, not that I need to spend a, a bunch of the time hearing where we should be hearing your story, just giving you compliments. But uh, I saw that you were back out uh, performing live comedy again, <clears throat> and I just wanted uh, I want the people of uh, jolly old England to you know, appreciate what a gift to their country you are. You oh, Cause you can be, you. you can be over here in America, but you're over there giving them joy and laughter. And uh, yeah, thank you. I literally bombed my, like, cause I, I started writing about my like experience, right? So it's like, you know, of course I've turned my trauma into like a dog fucking joke. And I definitely bombed <laughs> that last night. So, um, you know, in front of like a bunch of comics, I don't know too. So they like, didn't want to speak to me. And I was like, you know what dog fucking, it's just not for everyone, but like we, we all have trauma, don't we? So, yeah. well, you know, well, if you don't like the dog fucking joke, why don't you go watch James Corden do karaoke yeah. fucking lames? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> You know, I'll do karaoke. We got everybody's got a price. So you know what? If you want to just pay to watch me do karaoke, sure, I'll do that. I'll I do love that doing too. karaoke. My my uh, go to song is "Kiss from a Rose" by Seal. Wow, you you kind of look okay. Okay, I'm gonna say this. You look like the human embodiment of what you just said. "Kiss by a Rose" <laughs> at karaoke. Like you look like that I don't think you hit that pleasure. note. I don't think you hit that note just then, but you know what? Live your truth, man. Live your truth. Mine was come on Eileen. And there's actually, oh, yeah. I, but I haven't done karaoke since I used to drink. All, it, drinking is what used to propel that. And there is like a clip in, uh, you know, one of my highlights. I, I, I think that's what it's called. I barely know how to use Instagram, but of me doing karaoke and being filmed by this actual, this comic that I actually write with still. That it's very embarrassing, but I kind of like look at it fondly because I'm like, I wouldn't have remembered that experience if he hadn't taped me while I was drunk singing it. So come on, Eileen. Well, Catherine, I have to say this because you know what? This is the Labor Day Spooktacular. And, you know, the the reason you're the very first person that I uh, spoke to about this is because I was hoping you could share a tale of labor that would help me to understand the spirit of Labor Day. Do you have such a tale? I have, well, you know, I was sitting here thinking about this because I have so many, I've had so many strange jobs that I thought I could like, I, I could just cast out the net and then you could kind of select one. Like, cause I used to work at Subway right after I quit meth. I want um, Subway. Want sub- <laughs> I want the Subway tail. <laughs> really? Cause you haven't even heard the other shit. Oh, no, okay. I, yeah. I tell, me the, tell me the other ones. Tell okay, me the other ones. Then it, simultaneously when I was managing a BDSM dungeon in New York, like that was a job I had. I was the manager. I didn't do any of the stuff. So I I wasn't dressed up. I I like went to work 
you know, in mom jeans and like Nike shirts and like being like, no, I don't do the thing. But That's I fucking had a fake baller. Thing. Yeah. But like while I was working there, I also was working at this really high end staffing agency. And I do really like this woman. But when I say she is diagnosed bipolar and was doing cocaine in her office at 2 p.m., I mean that literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like that was actually a weirder environment to work in sometimes than the BDSM dungeon. So I I'm giving you three because Subway, you know, it, it sounds good. I've got some stories, but the other two. I don't know if you got a lot of other people. Um, the thing is, well, the reason Subway just, I know it was the first thing you said, but it jumped out at me is because I've done a lot of uh, menial labor style jobs where uh, you also have some kind of customer service aspect. And just, it's such a fucked up toxic environment where a person on the street that would never dare to say something, you know, untoward uh, true. to you will literally speak to you as though you're there fucking court jester you know what i mean yeah <laughs> that's true but you would actually be so i for some as you say that you would be surprised because like I, I okay i had to go to work at this dungeon on christmas right or not had to i offered to i wasn't flying home for christmas so you know i go in on christmas and there's some girls there and you know we're kind of like all right we're, we're the christmas crew which is you know that's an interesting place to be on christmas now with that said you know, so, you know, they were, but I literally like you, you could book an appointment on chat, right? Like, so you could call to make an appointment or you could do it on a chat. And on Christmas, I had a man try to haggle the price with me on fucking Christmas. <laughs> like it's already like fucked up doing that generally, but I was like, it's Christmas, you know, like he just didn't, he it, like the price doesn't change ever, but he thought like, you know what? The day that I'm actually going to try to get it for less is on Christmas. You know, the day when like, yeah. Most people don't want to be at work. And that kind of really brought brought us all down a peg. Trying to make you feel like a Scrooge. He's like, yeah. he's like, please, Mr. Scrooge, I need I need my knife dildo for Timmy's yeah. operation. Well, and I wasn't having any of it. I was like, you can go fuck yourself. How about that? I mean, they don't fuck people there. No, let me like there's no sex or hand jobs or blowjobs there. But I was just like, literally, you can go fuck yourself. But that's the thing. Like these uh, a lot of these clients, you know, they like puff up like you know, like they have an attitude and then they realize they're not going to get what they want. And so then they cower. And part of the whole thing is like being bratty anyway. Um, a flashback to your episode uh, when we were, I think we talked about the sex pistols. Um, and interestingly enough, that's where they were formed was Malcolm McLaren's uh, BDSM sex shop. Uh, that's where he, he found uh, Sid Vicious shoplifting. Is that really? Yeah. I and he was I like, and he was like, he was like, I'll tell you what, man, I won't call the cops on you for shoplifting if you become the bass player in this band I'm creating called the Sex Pistols because you have this look I want. And yeah. that's the that's the story of yeah. uh, Sid Vicious getting into the band. He didn't even know how to play bass. That's why he could only play like two notes. Yeah, I, I knew he didn't know how to play. That's funny though. I knew he didn't know how to play music. And then and then pop music. That Then pop music was really created then, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was the moment it was birthed. <laughs> okay, uh, shit, let's... let's uh... But I'll tell you about Subway. The oh, that was just Subway. That was just Subway. The, the only reason I, uh, I'm hesitating is because I just, on my podcast with uh, Mark, we just went over, for some reason, we were talking about all these jobs we used to have, and I talked about Subway on there. Because I do have this one funny story that, that I think goes into the Labor Day thing. So I'll, I'll tell you on here. But I was working, like, I was 15. No, no, I wasn't. I was 17. I was 17. I had just quit smoking meth. So somehow it was like <laughs> still a step down, you know, because now I'm working yeah. at Subway, but I'm like not high on drugs. And um, 
this homeless guy would come in with no shoes and he'd call me Cindy Lopper because I matched my eyeshadow to my subway hat because I'm a child who was also like coming off drugs. Yeah. Um, but this, I, I worked, you know, they're like franchises, right? So like the guy who owned the franchise, um, he like had his 15 year old daughter there and she was the one who was like in charge of everybody. So it was like me, her, and then two other women named Svetlana. Like, I promise you, one was like 60, the other was like 22. And um, I was working with one of the Svetlanas one day and this lady came in and this might and this story, I might have actually even written it on my old live journal. So if you like dig deep on the fucking Internet, you can find me writing about it in real time as a 17 year old, because what happened was this woman who looked like she looked like Rosie Perez had work done to look more like Michael Jackson. So <laughs> she like looked like Rosie Perez and Michael Jackson. And she came in with this toddler and then she was carrying like this other toddler in her arms and she's ordering all these sandwiches and the one kid that's like too big for her to carry is like by the chip rack and I see him playing with the chips and I was just sort of bitter again so like I should have said something I could have said something but I didn't I just see the kid fucking with the chip rack and then next thing you know the the rack is down on the kid like it has fallen on the kid. There are chips everywhere. There are bags everywhere. The kid is screaming under the chips. This woman is screaming, oh my God, fuck, fuck. You know, she's got this one like kid in her arms. So she's like pulling this chip rack off of her, like, you know, other child and then dragging him out of the subway, right? And we're like making all these footlongs. So we're like, what? We're just watching this sort of like disaster happen. Like I don't get out from behind the counter. Neither does my coworker because we just like watch it. And as she's exiting the subway, she just turns around and she screams, keep making those sandwiches. And then we watch her like put the kids in the car and like peel out. And she comes back 30 minutes later and picks them up. What? And then we like, don't even speak of it. Yeah. And then you were like, you want chips with that? And like, <laughs> The answer was no. She did not take chips. Man, and that is the footlongs. I, for for anyone that hasn't worked at a job like Subway, that's uh, that's not like. I mean, and also anyone listening that has had these kind of jobs, that's not like. You, like this sounds bizarre, and you're like, what? It's like, no, dude. That's like at least once a week, some fucking horse shit like that happens to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's always uh. Yeah, you, you, I, I firmly believe all people should be involved in some sort of menial, like food industry jobs specifically. I mean, retail, yes, but like definitely, like you're, I don't think you should be allowed to eat at a restaurant unless you've worked in a restaurant. I agree you know? entirely. Like, yeah, because you don't really fucking get it. Like and how I used to work at this other restaurant, this very popular restaurant. I was a hostess, which nobody believes because- I don't really want to talk to people, but I like could do it. And people would line up for Sunday brunch, like 25 minutes before the restaurant opened. And we had windows so we could see them and it would, it would boil my blood. Like in theory, you should be happy. You work at this place and it was a great place to work. Delicious food. It's called buttermilk channel. If you're in Brooklyn, you should just go there. It's a great, like everybody who works there is fantastic, but like it would infuriate me because I would think, don't these fuckers have anything better to do on Sunday morning than get in line for eggs, you know? And like, it would be a line down the block. Like you'd open the door and then the restaurant would be full. And it would make me so angry because like, you know, most of us are hung over and whatever, and that's not their fault, but then they just start acting like fucking assholes, like from the jump, you know, like, these pancakes are cold, like it, it, everything, you know? And you're like, if you don't like it, just cook your fucking breakfast at home, you know? Yeah, like, how just, fucking hard is it to make eggs? You know, we have a, pl a place like that in Nashville called the Pancake Pantry. It's a, kind of a tourist destination, but also people that live here go there. And it's exactly what you're describing. It, people line up 
around the block, like a hundred people standing outside. Yeah. You go in and, and eat the same shit you can get at IHOP. It's, I mean. And then they, well, and then they rate it like they're food critics or then they like criticize like your met. Cause like we didn't used to seat people without, um, if their party was incomplete, right? Because one fucker sits down and then sits there for 45 minutes. And then like the other two people like don't get there cause they're in traffic and now the tables fuck, you know? And so people would get so angry, you know, or you, or they walk in, you're like, look, the wait is an hour. And they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, Take a fucking look around. There's a lot, like there are people hovering. Yes, I'm not gonna build your table downstairs for you. And then like you tell them it's an hour and in 10 minutes, they're like, what's it at now? And you're like, like you also have a watch. Like you, it, it, people are crazy when it comes to food. So, um, you know, as a result, I'm like pretty much somebody, I, I could order a hamburger at a restaurant and then somebody could deliver me a pile of shit and I'll say, oh, thank you so much. And I'll like eat it because I just know <laughs> what a nightmare it can be to work in a restaurant. This you, you made this memory pop into my mind. I haven't thought about this in years, but I realized that this guy had a huge impact on my philosophy. Uh, like now as an adult and stuff, uh, I used to have this job as a busboy, and the when I worked with this bartender, like you know, I'd go and you know, cl- you know, do busboy shit at the bar, and he was like, he was a very kind of bitter and grizzled bartender guy, but he was, but he had a good idea. I, I, or at the time, I thought it was a good idea, and to this day, I honestly don't think it's necessarily. Uh, a bad idea, but he said that he thought every single, uh, and this is, you know, pertains to the US, but I'm sure it would work for other countries and society as a whole, uh, that there would be like a mandatory, when you turn 18 years old, not only, you know, how Israel has the, like, you have to serve in the military for at least one year as a mm-hmm. citizen. Yeah. They're saying uh, they should instate that, like, so mandatory, uh, you're in the military, no matter how fucking rich you are, no matter who your parents are, uh, a mandatory year in the service industry so that you can learn yeah. how to fucking eat at a restaurant without being a piece of shit. And something else, some kind of like mandatory year of like, uh, just kind of social programs, like maybe working with the homeless. And, yeah. and his whole belief was that if, if this was forced upon everyone, then our, they would, it would solve all of society's ills. Cause like one, we wouldn't be going to fucking war because the rich shitheads would know their kids were going to, uh, mm-hmm. to, and what we're discussing specifically is, People would know how to act right in restaurants more likely. Not always. I know that I've I've known people that have been servers and bartenders and whatnot that have also been terrible customers. <laughs> but you know that might just be because they're so, you know, bitter about the you know the treatment they've received. And then also like you know if you spend some time uh, working one on one, you know, face to face with people that are homeless or for, for whatever reason or you know you know something like of that nature then maybe you would grow a little bit of empathy. And you know what? By that yeah. point, you're, what are you? You're 20 or 21 years old. Then you can go to college. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yo, like I, I, I back what you just said, what, what that guy came up with. No 18-year-old should be deciding what they're going to do with their fucking life. Like I didn't even realize I was signing up for student loans. Like when I graduated and got my bill, I was confused, like, oh, which I know too. sounds idiotic, but I was like, wait, I'm sorry. What, what is this number? What is it? What is it? And then I began to sob because I realized I'll, I'll die. I'll die before this money is paid back. So I went and bought two forties of old English and just like, I, I don't know what happened that night. I, I know I didn't pay any of my student loans though. Like, I know that didn't happen that <laughs> night, but yeah, like I could, like that is a life skill. And I think like anything that can aid in uniting humanity more, because at the end of the day, you know, we're all people. It's all fucking connected. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. for the most part, uh, I, I don't know. People like to ignore that, but that's just like 
that's not the case. And why not start, you know, start with like the very basic levels of like being a human to other humans. So I think, yeah, that guy uh, for president, whoever uh, your yeah. friend is. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you know, which would make me think of uh, when I, when I finished college and I got my student loan bill and I was like, the fuck, I got to pay this for that. And then it, it just immediately yeah. made me think of the scene from Goodwill Hunting where he's arguing with the, the long haired shithead from uh, Harvard. And the guy's like, I, you know, I know this and I know that. And he's like, he's like, you know what? I learned everything you learned at Harvard for $2 and 30 cents in late fees of the library. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's true. Like I, um, I, I saved all my syllabi and shit. Like, I, cause I'll, I'll be, I learned nothing. I learned nothing in college. Cause I was too busy, you know, actually, um, getting my degree and smoking cigarettes in the courtyard, you know what I yeah. mean? And fucking going to New York nightclubs. Like I wasn't, I wasn't like going to school and I certainly wasn't going to school for anything that like was going to be of actual use to me. I just picked something that I liked going to school for it made me hate it, you know, but I saved all that shit. Cause I was like, I fucking paid for this. So basically I, I lugged around notebooks and syllabi and like, books that are irrelevant for over a decade, like in New York city, of course that, that shit's all been thrown out now. Cause I like live here, but like, I even was like, do I try to get them to ship me this shit? Like, cause you know, I fucking paid for it. I paid, you know, an stupid amount of money for that. And then for what, you know, um, I think that, I think right out of high school, they should shove you in a restaurant. Right. And that will start you with the empathy. And then you go to the homeless, I think. Cause then you're, you're a bit older, you're a bit wiser. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I think restaurant, they, they, they should put you, put you to work first, you know, get you, get those nimble limbs, uh, learning how to use a fucking tray and on your feet all day. Uh, That's such a fun, funny, speaking of like, well, what you get from college and, and labor. <clears throat> uh, so when I was in college, like uh, one of my main jobs at the times I worked at the gym at my, and I, you know, I went to a really big state school. So we had a huge gym. And I taught spin classes and fucking kickboxing classes. And, you know, I was like a fitness instructor. Like that was like, yeah. kind of like, you know, my main income. And uh, then when I was done with school, I had a bachelor of science in journalism, but it made way fucking more sense for me to continue just doing, uh, to go work in gyms and yeah. just shit of that nature and do construction work. So I, <laughs> like, honestly, I might've, uh, I might've, it might've been more lucrative if I had just gone and gotten a job at like a really just nice gym instead of going to school in the first place. <laughs> Dude. I mean, if I'd gotten a business to anything, I got, I, my degree, I went to the new school university in New York city. I have a degree in liberal arts. That is what my degree is in because they didn't have the like accreditation to actually, I think that's what it is to give me my degree. So I, I have a degree in liberal arts with a concentration in nonfiction writing with my secondary concentration in fiction. It's useless. It's horseshit. You know, you go on an interview and you're like, Oh yeah, I learned a lot about fucking, I don't know what bed I learned. I took a class about bedroom culture you know like yeah. for teenagers you know what i mean like horseshit which was fun i guess but like i mean i took pilates i got i got i got i, I got credits in pilates which i have to say yeah. out of all the classes i took that was the most useful because i still fuck with pilates sometimes oh yeah so, like everything else though i'm like i don't know like i had fun learning about bullshit i guess you know um but i, I learned no real life skill like truly, um, except how to cram a month's worth of work into, you know, 48 hours at the end of the semester. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm recalling I had a, a good class. I had to take like some kind of literature thing. And they made me read a, uh, it was like a short story by Ernest Hemingway, who I kind of like later on in life grew to enjoy like maybe a couple of his books. But the story in particular, I really did not enjoy it at all. And we had to write about the story. So I just honestly wrote that I thought it fucking sucked. I thought it was stupid. I thought it was a waste of my time. <laughs> and uh, turned out that that professor, just unbeknownst to me, was a like, her whole deal was that she was a Hemingway scholar. And that was like what her, what she had gotten her doctorate in was like, I guess you can do that. You can become a doctor of Hemingway. And she was pissed. And so even though I did well on like, you know, the test and the other shit, she never forgot that I disrespected Hemingway and like threw me a fucking D at the end. So what do you get yeah. from that? Is that I guess people are petty. I mean, there's things you can learn from college, I guess. Well, this, uh, yeah, look, there's things you can learn from college and I'm not going to, and I probably could have applied myself better if I hadn't been 17 years old when I entered college, right? Like if I had actually got to, like every choice I made was sort of this choice of like, okay, I've been told to go to college, so I'm going to go. I'm not really interested in being here. And so that's sort of where, how I remember the experience, right? Like, I was just there because I was told I needed to go so I could like somehow be a successful person, which I'm learning. Like, I think it probably could have been a bit better for me to maybe go learn how life works a bit and then make a more conscious decision about what I wanted to go to school for. Right. So, um, but with that said, like everybody's just a fucking person. Right. So it's yeah. like <laughs> that teacher is like, this is my, f I jerk off to this Hemingway story. How dare you, you know? <laughs> and like, and then you get like a D right. Like uh, people aren't necessarily the best at being objective, you know, always including teachers or, you know, even I, I guess therapists, sometimes that's their, that's supposed to be their job. Right. But like, you know, everybody's got their shit and like, you know, who knows, like you, you rub somebody wrong, you know, there are teachers who didn't like me. There are teachers who did like me, who let me get away with shit, you know, which is like, great. Isn't that nice? You know, um, but when you're paying that much money, I just think, I think they should encourage I, my opinion and I'm never having children, but like they graduate from high school, then they graduate to a restaurant, you know, and then they do every job in that fucking restaurant. Then they go work with the homeless and then they're like, okay, what do I want to do with my life? You know, yeah. um, and or whatever, you know, maybe maybe a, a slight detour into retail and reception, just so you know that everybody gets treated like a fucking asshole everywhere they work. Um, and then and then we'll see. Maybe you know, world peace could be achieved. As a, as a small caveat to what I said earlier about, I mean, like I'm not trying to say that because there are certain professions. Obviously, colleges you get it has to. I mean, there's no way you can do it without that. So, like for instance, uh, I would never want to have a nurse that hasn't hasn't gotten a degree in nursing. Uh, I would never want to have a dentist that hasn't gotten a degree in dentistry. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you, but then I just sort of think about, I sometimes think about the ways I've cut corners and you know, there's corners have been cut everywhere. And yes, I want a dentist who went to dental school, but do you know what I mean? Like, how do you even know you're getting a, a one who like gave a fuck, you know, yeah. or who didn't like just know somebody, you know what I mean? It's like, but yes, go, like, look, a doc, the do doctors, lawyers, whatever, you know what I mean? I'm, but I, I think um, unless you have your heart set on that, and it's so hard because sometimes you do have your heart set on that, and then, you're, then your idea of what you want changes because you're, you know, 17 when you're deciding that, right? Like how in the world, you know, okay, I mean, some people do, but, I, you know, there's some people that I know that later in life, they were like, oh, I actually want to go do something like that. And then they can like, you know, they're in their 
mid twenties. So they're a little more grounded, you know, but, um, it's, it's bonkers. It's really bonkers. I'm glad I'll never have to deal with it. I'm never having a child. I can't even imagine the stress of being like, <laughs> you know, like if I had a mini me, my mom always said that if I had a kid, it would be the opposite of me. She'd want to go into girl scouts, She'd want like, <laughs> you know, just all sorts of be a ballerina, like all this crap. And I can't even imagine having to like worry about it. You know, Catherine, I cannot thank you enough <laughs> yeah. for, first of all, kicking off this episode with the true spirit of Labor Day. I could not have asked for a better first guest. Oh, thank you. And uh, thanks for coming on again. And like I said, people really, really loved your first episode. So also anyone out there uh, that hasn't heard that one, this is Catherine Henson. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't. Yeah, I know you were in the 20s, 20 something. But uh, it's not that hard. Just fucking, you know what? It's Yeah. I feel like I'm, I shouldn't just say like, it's not that hard, figure it out for yourself. That's, that is poor podcastmanship. <laughs> so I'm going to find yeah, you out. You got the professional mic and everything, you know, you, 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 you look the part. Look at, can you believe how much I've fucking uh, glowed up? All right, here we go. Episode 33, special guest, Catherine Henson. Check it out. She's amazing. Also check her out. Uh, uh, my Irish American life. This American Irish Life. This yeah. American Irish Life. I'm so fucking sorry. No, don't be I, sorry. But I do, I do like I, your podcast a lot. I just I messed up the name. And also, you girl, you nasty. Yeah. Uh, is the call. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me. This was really, I, I, I appreciate being asked. And it was nice to see you again. It was nice to see you again as well. And thank you so much. Yeah. I feel like I've almost fully learned the f- true spirit of Labor Day. Yeah, me too. They don't celebrate it here. So isn't that great for me? I'm going to just literally go. It, it's Monday. That's that's what it is. It's Monday. So <laughs> that is the spirit of Labor Day is that it doesn't exist at all. <laughs> all right, Catherine. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, thanks so much. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Bye. As you can tell, the first guest of Podcast Past really helped to start to get me into the Labor Day spirit but I still have so much more to learn about Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. Jess, welcome to the Labor Day Spooktacular, where we believe Labor Day means more than just the beginning of the auto industry's end-of-the-model-year sell-down season, where they offer excellent deals to make way on dealer lots for all new and redesigned models to arrive. And right now, you can apply for 0% APR on a new Toyota. We believe it means more than that. And <laughs> uh, great to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Um, just want to say congratulations because I have seen how um, amazing your uh, Rewilding Academy is going. It seems just to be like just blowing up. I, I When we first talked, you were uh, just at the beginning of starting all that. And it seems like now when I see what you're doing, it seems like you've been doing it for years. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, I mean, it's just still in this initial um, phase of, of uh, growing organically and um, just listening to what type of interest is out there and putting courses together. And um, it's a slow build, but it's it's got a lot of heart. Um, but as amazing as what you're doing now, because you're, uh, you know, you're following your passion and you're doing incredible work with what you actually want to be doing with your life. We are doing the Labor Day Spooktacular to talk about the true spirit of Labor Day, which I think is to talk about an old job that you had uh, 
Do you have a labor tale to tell? <laughs> well, that's so funny because I really didn't know what direction we were going with on this um, podcast because I've heard spooked, you know, spooky stuff, and I I have <laughs> you know just a great story lined up for you with uh, that has a little bit of rewilding and it has a little bit of uh, haunting in it and all that. Um, I've got plenty of you know legit spooky work stories, um, and I'll kind of launch from there. I mean, that would be I fun. I, I, yeah, let's let's around. do it. Let's do a spooky one because we just we just did one that was uh very just like uh kind of like how capitalism kind of puts people in difficult positions and blah blah blah. So <laughs> let's let's do yeah. spooky. Can you do this? Yeah, let's one? go. Let's completely switch directions here. Although you know, I'll have to say since we are on the topic of uh, Labor Day weekend and we're coming into the fall season, which is um incredibly beautiful time where the veils of reality thin a little bit as we get into some of these pagan concepts of what's happening around um, All Saints Day and, and Day of the Dead. And of course, we, we call this Halloween, but there's such a bigger story about what's happening in the fall. And so I love this time of year. And um, so I will be telling you a story with Je story time with Jess. Yeah. Um, but before that, I'll, I'll have to say when I, my very first job, since we are also talking about Labor Day and employment, was at a uh, the Hotel Sisters Saloon in Sisters, Oregon. And this uh, building was, of course, built in the 1900s. And it's an old Western town. And I was a bus girl. I was busing tables back then. Um, and that place was legit haunted. <laughs> and, um, and it was every time I had to go upstairs at night and break down and bust these tables, there was this huge mirror on that you'd have to, to walk down and through or next to when you were leaving the upstairs area and always the lights were off back there. And I tell you what, every time I had some big tray of wine glasses and plates and I'm walking down and I would have to walk by that mirror and I always sense something always and I always had to turn my head and just rush down the stairs to get out of there because it was such a such a a presence that lived upstairs and it was um, Jess, terrifying I, I have to interrupt you just for one second because what you're telling me is so uh, I, I, there's always synchronicity when we talk I had a job as a bus boy at a restaurant called the boundary and uh it's no longer there it's it was a natural they bulldozed it but <clears throat> it was a three stories uh the first story at a bar the second story had a bar and the third story was called the phoenix room which was for special events and every so often they would send me up there for something and it had like a, an iron gate and you had to go up these like terrifying stairs and everyone that had worked there for a long time was just like it's haunted it's completely and the thing is you went up there and it was that immediate, that eerie feeling you're being watched and you're seeing shit out of your peripheral vision. I like, I totally had an experience like that, which is, I just oh, think yeah. it's incredible that like, when we talk, like there's just, uh, things like that where like, I'm like, shit. Oh, and you were sure. saying that you also were a busser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. In fact, I stopped working there because my boyfriend at the time who was a waiter, I, I broke up with him and he, um, the next day I had to be his bus girl or whatever you would call it. I was busing <laughs> tables. Yeah, buses he, on tables. Uh, 
I was bussing tables and he um, as a had to tip me out at the end of the night and he had premeditated this, but he brought in this just um, big envelope of pennies and quarters and nickels and dimes. And he left that for me at the counter. Oh, <laughs> That's <a> my dick. <laughs> I, know. I know. Anyway, I stopped working there soon after. Um, but, you know, I've had, um, I mean, you know, I've talked to you about how I used to work at a funeral home and cemetery as well. And um, oddly enough, I never got the creepy vibe um, at the cemetery. I felt that the cemetery was um, just a beautiful place. Uh, I love to walk in the cemetery. It felt um, peaceful. It felt um, honorable. And honestly, all of my ghost stories, and I have quite a few, so we won't be able to get into all those. They all come from very different places and experiences than I ever felt at the cemetery. It's just interesting enough. Yeah, cemeteries are like a uniquely peaceful places and that's in my experience as well mm. yeah 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 so um the story that i wanted to get at because also it stays a little bit on brand with me in my year of rewilding so i think this counts as a job because i have been a professional rewilder this last year and that i'm kind of stating that as my job and so I have a story that goes with that. And also I'm able to kind of circle around on some deeper meaning here around as we enter into um, this fall season and, um, and, this, and this, this season where we get to explore some of these um, topics. Uh, they come up with, of course, everyone celebrating Halloween, but I really like to go into the deeper nature of what it means when we're experiencing something that's either uh, feels like a, a haunting or a visitation. So let's let's go right into the story. Um, and I had alluded to this story. I think we talked about it last time on the podcast that I was with you. When you uh, so, stayed in a, in a lean-to, or is that, is that yeah. the incorrect terminology? Well, I was, um, my girlfriend, Anna Lee, and I participated in a, we signed up for a wilderness survival course. And the first day we were all out, and this was out in Clay Elm, Washington. And we were making um, shelters, uh, emergency shelters out of, you know, just things we would find uh, in nature. So yes, we were grabbing a bunch of sticks and fallen logs and things and, and making kind of an A-frame shelter. Well, that was part of the course. Um, on the last night that we were there, we actually never slept in the shelters. And on the last night of our event, of our course, the our, our actual instructors had left to go into town and it was getting close to dusk. And I told my friend that I wanted to go sleep in the shelter. And um, I was like, gosh, here we are at Wilderness Survival Course. I actually want the experience of feeling like what it would feel like if I was in a survival situation and I you know, was out there on my own and I didn't have all the normal tools or things I would need of comfort. So she was like, all right, go for it. And I grabbed um, just my headlamp and my spear that I had <laughs> had whittled. Oh, and yeah. I, I grabbed my, um, uh, I actually had this black cloak that, um, that I've had for years that I just always keep with me for warmth. So I put that on. Of course, I didn't have a sleeping bag. I didn't have your normal things that you would think staying out in, in the woods in the middle of the night. And I took off. Now to get to the shelter, you have to cross a river. And I did a lot of things wrong. Um, first of all, traveling at night is a really bad idea in the wilderness. Um, 
I learned that lesson and I certainly got lost. I crossed the river. I, I got some of my pant legs wet. Um, so that was problematic. I got to the other side of the river and this shelter was maybe only a half a mile away, but from our camp and across the river, but I couldn't find it. And I started to feel a little bit of that panic feeling. And um, I know my energy was off because I was feeling uh, a sense of fear. I, could I didn't realize how much little light you could see with a headlamp in front of you. It really just illuminates right in front of you. And so there was just no sense of where I was. Well. I ended up finding the shelter, which was extraordinary. And I was, I just was celebrated and I was so excited to have found it. I, I, you know, and her and I had created a bit of an altar on top of our shelter where we had found some uh, wildflowers and some beautiful rocks. And we had really decorated our shelter with this piece to say, you know, let's really create something beautiful as an offering to the, for this, the gift of this shelter. Well, I, um, I crawled in and um, I had, <laughs> I put my hat over my ears so the ants wouldn't get inside and oh gosh, I, <laughs> you know, I, I sheltered in and, um, and when I turned off that headlight and, or headlamp and, and closed my eyes and, and tried to go to sleep, I had a lot of anxiety. I was not prepared for how uh, alone I would feel and how uncomfortable that would be. Um, so my sleep was weird and not deep. I don't know if I actually ever slept. What I do know is that I became very cold and this cold was the, was core cold as my sister calls it core cold. And I, you know, where it's in your bones and I was shivering a bit and somewhere in the middle of the night, I felt, um, a blanket or, or some layer getting put over the top of me. And I thought immediately that was my instructor coming to check on me, yeah. who had maybe come back to camp, heard that I had went out at the shelter and, and was concerned and checking in on me. So I immediately was like, oh, thank goodness you're here. And oh, I needed this layer. And oh my, you know, so I opened my eyes and there's nobody there. And that gave me a moment's rush of adrenaline um, because I felt that layer go on me like <laughs> completely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so were you, I, I were you almost, were you almost fully awake at that point or were you still kind of in, in the dream? When I, when I felt the blank or when I felt the layer go on top of me. Yeah. I was probably in that, uh, what I would call a twilight state where I was, heavy my eyes were closed but i was in no means in deep sleep because i was hyper aware of every sound of the forest every crack every thing i heard because that's of course when the animals come out and play um and and hunt and, and walk around and i heard everything so i was in by no means deep sleep and um i was alert and tired <laughs> so after the um that experience i you know i i kind of settled myself i thought wow that was just a just okay I'm in a dream state so I went back to resting time goes by and now I felt this could again this is the twilight state I felt someone spooning me and I mean spooning me like a, 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 an, a presence was pressed up against my backside and an arm went over my shoulder 
Oh my God. Now I, at this moment, I, I had the awareness to say, there is somebody here. And if, and then I said to myself, do I really, before I opened my eyes, do I truly feel somebody here? The answer was yes. And then I just leaped up, you know, because there was no feeling of an actual body there. Yeah. And, and now I am, I'm weirded out to the core, you know, this was, this got real. And, um, and I didn't know what to do because honestly, the thought of putting my headlamp on and going back out into the forest and finding my way back to camp at, in the middle of the night was equally as terrifying. <laughs> so I could, you know, so I, um, I ended up staying and um, lying there and aware that there was a presence. And at that point, um, I'm going to say there was one more occurrence that happened. And this really was over the top for me. So this was maybe around four in the morning because it was not, you could almost sense that it had been a full night. And I was laying there and I started, I might've gone back to sleep or that twilight state, but I started to feel what felt like someone pulling on my ankles, like, like, like pull, pull, pull. Like ah. messing with, <laughs> and at that point I said enough. I out loud I said please stop, enough. And I sat up. I put my headlamp on, got my cape on, grabbed my spear, and I left. And I walked back out into the dark, and I found my way back to the river. It wasn't perfect because I just could hear the river, so I knew how to get there crossed over, got back to my tent, back to camp. And it was still, you know, and so my friends, when they, the next morning, when I, when we woke up and I was in my, you know, I came out of my tent, they were like, what happened? How are you here? What's going on? Why are you here? And of course I didn't say anything to the group, but I shared that with my friend. And, um, and so I'm going to move this story forward a little bit, unless you have any comments at this point, but I have um, more to share. Only just that, um, I have also, I've experienced uh, unexplainable phenomena in my life. And, you know, I don't have like any super concrete beliefs on what these things might be. But uh, I mean, wh what you're saying is resonating with me with like experiences I've had where I've been in places that I felt were haunted. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think one big difference though for me is uh, the only solo camping I've ever really done is uh, on the beach which uh, I don't know what it is about being by, by the ocean, but it's just so open and vast that I just feel like there's nothing. It's, it's a, I feel like in the deep woods, I, I can, I can totally understand that being like a frightening place. And there's something about uh, beach camping, even like solo beach camping that it's like, you're, I don't know. I, I find, I find the ocean protective. Does that sound weird? I don't know. Well, there, I, I, I think, I think actually there's always, um, and that's actually the piece I wanted to go into was protection, the, this concept of, of, of what we sense around the supernatural and, and protection and this, and this concept of what it means to be in nature and our relationship to this. Because I think this is on mission with me and rewilding, but also about my reflection of this and what I would have done differently and what I continue to do differently as I do have time alone in, in the back country. And um, so I got back and I actually spoke, uh, I've got my good friend, his name is Joel Vanderloon and he was actually on season seven alone, the History oh, Channel. Cool. 
That's awesome. And he, yeah, well, he's actually going to be teaching a women's wilderness survival course for me uh, next month in October. He'll be our guest instructor. Oh, cool. And he'll be doing, which is super cool. Those yeah. women are in for a great experience with him. He's a, he's a very mindful man. He's uh, well-practiced with uh, wilderness survival. And he actually annually stays with the Hadza tribe in Africa. And um, this is an original uh, hunter-gatherer tribe. And I'm actually hoping to join him in the spring um, to go stay and, and live with the Hadza and learn some of their practices and, and have this ex epic experience. But um, so I reached out to him and I'm like, all right, you, you have spent a lot of time with traditional, uh, you know, tribe, tribal people. You have spent a lot of time alone. And obviously, you know, he was in the Arctic during his time on the show alone. And I was like, talk to me about how I, what, what happened here and what I might do differently. And we, um, without using the word, I'm going to introduce a word called animism. Have you heard of this word? Yes. So I'm learning about animism and this is this belief in a supernatural power that truly just organizes and animates the material universe. So, you know, this idea that plants have a soul and inanimate objects have energy, have soul, that this could be applied to a river or a mountain or a place. Um, and of course, indigenous people, this was probably the original religion um, because yeah, this absolutely, was absolutely. very- that, Yeah, that, that would make sense that, you know, before we started creating these complex deities based on society, we would obviously have been, you know, nature worshipers and, but I'm sorry. Correct. Yeah, so the so you know, first humans had a very spiritual connection to the natural world, and so you know, the, the supernatural was intimately a part of the human experience. And um, you know, people even now in modern day world who spend a lot of time in nature, they they feel this. You know, they may fish a particular river or they climb a certain mountain, and they have a relationship with that river or a relationship with that mountain. They might even personify it with a name um, and a certain energy like the mountain was angry today or you know that th this you know I, I felt a welcoming presence from the river or this you know there's a lot that happens but, you know sailors refer to their ships as a female deity really um, because yeah. it's this mother um, it's the mother who protects them and so often refer to ships as a she and have practices and ritual you know around this <clears throat> before they head out to sea so this is something really interesting. And what, even though my girlfriend and I, Anna Lee had made this beautiful kind of offering at the shelter site, what I was missing when I, that I'm incorporating into my life now when I'm out in nature was when I arrived, I arrived in a state of fear and, and I was not grounded and I was not in a, in a place of connection. What I would have done differently is I would have arrived to the shelter I would have, um, I, I didn't have an offering, a way to light a fire because fire and light truly does change an energy of a place. And it's a beautiful opportunity to have um, an offering is to light a fire. Um, but I didn't have that because there's a burn ban. So I could have, you know, oh, just had a lighter and sh brought some light in and, and then calmed my energy um, with light. I could have sang, <clears throat> excuse me, I could have, um, I think the power of sound and vibration through voice, which look at me, I'm having this reaction in my <laughs> throat right now. How interesting, <clears> throat> excuse me. 
So, you know, um, I could have sang a song and really changed the energy and welcomed and, and asked permission to be there and said, um, I'm here. I would like permission to be here and to be uh, to share this space in, the, in, in, in with whatever energy lives here or or has residence here. Um, I could have brought, I could have clipped some of my hair. I've read different things about offerings. I could have clipped some of my hair to leave in that space. You can bring bread or food or offer shells or, um, um, or just have the mindful engagement of a meditation that, that connects you to the place and shows reverence for, for in this spirit of animism. So I probably would have done that differently. And, um, and I, I just, you know, I find that the more I am rewilding my life, I see this connection that um, this is really about learning to relate to the natural world as um, in a more, you know, connected way. And this is part of that. And I have experienced that because I don't want to say I am afraid of entities or the spirit world because this is an, a phenomenon of our of what it means to be you know many people have experienced this phenomenon so I, I don't want to live in fear with that but I do want to enter sacred places and which I consider all places on earth quite sacred it's our home it's our planet it's um and so and there's an opportunity to learn here from this and and bring in a in in this piece I'm thinking. Jess, I have to say, first, I'm I'm so glad that you came on this uh, uh, this ep special episode uh, to, as always, bringing a unique and thoughtful and just awesome perspective to something that, like, you know, I kind of even just started as a joke, and <laughs> I kind of knew you were going to bring something a little bit more uh, just t tangible to the table than uh, like a lot of what was going on my, on my mind when I came up with this. And also, it was short notice, you know. But I was just, you know. <laughs> I hit you up. You're uh, so beloved by uh, the people who listen to this podcast. And if uh, anybody out there, if you haven't heard her episode, uh, Jess's episode is episode 35 on My Views of My Own. If you want to hear Jess just tell you like just amazing stuff for an entire full podcast episode. And also, <laughs> other than that, I guess uh, if you want to see amazing photos, uh, go to Jess underscore Wild Kind Academy and uh, on Instagram, yeah. yeah wildkindacademy.com wildkindacademy.com everybody check it out and just thank you so much for coming on the labor day spooktacular and thank you so much for actually making it spooky that wasn't <laughs> of course i had to bring I was, my it was literally just based on the fact that uh, the only other holiday episode i had done was the halloween spooktacular and we're doing the same format and so i was like yeah why change the name and that was amazing and thank you so much you're so welcome and thank you. It's always great to see you and talk with you. And I love how we uh, vibe off one another. So we'll do it again. Always a pleasure. Uh, we've, yeah, we, uh, we have to do another special spectacular at some point and have you on and I will do uh, a better job of uh, organizing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, will be, this can be a great inspiration for what, what's possible, what we can do with this. Um, well, thank you, Jess, and have a um, amazing Labor Day. Hey, you too. Thank you so much. Take care, Doug. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Wow. The second guest of Podcast Past really got me thinking about how important Labor Day is. 
But I still feel like there's more for me to learn about Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. Oh, I, I forgot. There's a there's a theme to this. It is the. <clears throat> okay, hey, yeah, Taylor. Coming in cold. Welcome to the Labor Day Spooktacular, where we believe Labor Day means more than just saving up to six hundred dollars with trade-in of the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 when you add one additional line to your existing phone plan for only $15 a month. We think it means more than that here. And uh, shit, man, I gotta say, dude, uh, congratulations on, I've been watching your career just fucking explode. And the, when, you, when, you, when you were first on this podcast, the very first time, I feel like it was only because I was a skateboarder that you even gave me the time of day like back then i was like this guy's got better shit to do but i was like yo man i'm an adult skateboarder let's talk and uh since since then what you've, you've had uh, a, a major feature in thrasher magazine uh you're touring the u.s like doing the skate park tour of the u.s and man your skating looks really good you're fucking shredding dude like what are the, uh get out of here is that that's like, that's like your signature trick is like the that. switch back tail right yeah, that's uh, that's my signature move. <laughs> uh, Almost embarrassingly, I don't. I mean, you know, I would say that the the coolest feeling trick I ever landed in my life was a back tail, and it's nothing. I, I never was able to lock it, but I got in my whole time skateboarding. I got one solid uh, back tail that, like, you know, that I rolled. You know, went pretty far yeah. and rolled away from it, like. I was like, that's the best thing that might ever happen to me. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's like our fishing, right? You're like, you're like, ah, a long time ago, I caught one that was this big. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was a switchback tail. It slid for feet, I tell you. I guess that's one of those things that like, if you never have been a skateboarder, you would never know like what the joy of a back tail feels like. But it's just like yeah, we just lost half your audience. They're like, what? What's your back tail? <laughs> I didn't come to listen to this pornographic language. <laughs> oh, I guess should we even explain what a backtail? I guess yeah, because actually, considering um, the, the other guests that came on and get technical and explain exactly what a backtail is. Okay, so you do an ollie. Uh, you when the ledge is to your backside, an meaning, ollie is a jump. As a jump, those you, you jump on the skateboard. You land on the tail of the skateboard. Everyone knows what the tail means. There's and you front slide on just the tail. We don't have to explain this. And then you have to get into like why a backtail specifically feels so much better than just any other trick that you would describe. I mean, so it's really the only way to explain it is you have to skate for a hot number of years, watch a significant amount of skateboard videos, and then you will truly understand why doing a backtail feels so good. <laughs> and it's such a triumph. I remember well, when I was a kid and like, one of the first times I was skating with some uh, dudes and a guy did a back tail stall just popped up and just landed on the back tail on a curb. And I went, Holy yeah, my mind exploded. And I was like that I need this in my life, whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we will definitely get into, into the labor day stuff. Cause you are here to teach me the spirit of labor day. That's the whole point of this is uh, it's kind of okay. like, it's kind of like go. when Ebenezer Scrooge had to be taught the, Spirit of Christmas. Okay. I have to be taught the spirit of Labor Day. <laughs> uh, but I want to ask you one thing, man. Are you anti-Labor Day? 
What? Are you anti Labor Day? Nah, dude, I'm, I'm hella fucking Labor Day, man. I just think that uh, labor is such a vast subject, and we got a perfect combination of guests for this. Uh, the last person on right before you actually told an actual spooky labor story, which is pretty funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, why? Why? I thought it was early for a, a Halloween thing, Halloween themed Labor Day show. You know what happened was last year at Halloween. It was the only other holiday special I did. And last year at Halloween, I did a Halloween spooktacular. I had several past guests come on and tell their uh, spookiest story. And then, you know, this was like really short notice. I can't believe that everybody was able to even do this. And especially like, you know, we coming up with it like on Labor Day weekend. Uh, but uh, I just didn't uh, think there was any reason to change the name spooktacular to something different. <laughs> Love it. Let's go. Oh, uh, one last one last thing I got to ask, because I, I saw you Wait, you did a I think you might have been in San Francisco, you did a big ass show, a ton of pros showed up like like a ton of like, uh, oh, no, they didn't show up. I ambushed them. Into oh, hell, yeah, even show. better. It was <laughs> it was uh, it was a long story, man. But uh, essentially, I had venues cancel in San Francisco and uh, I had two two nights there. I had some tickets sold. But I was do the whole tour was kind of like announcing venues kind of as I go, some of them with like 24 hours notice. Um, so in San Francisco, I lost venues and I ended up doing a show at the island because a bunch of homies were just like, just do it at the island, which is this like famous skate spot in San Francisco. So yeah, there were yeah. like, I mean, I guess, yeah, some pro skaters and some like good names and skateboarding, amazing skateboarders, that's for sure. And uh I set up a fucking comedy show right there in front of them. I was like, guys want to stay for the show? And there was like four people that wanted me to do it. And it was in the middle of the street. It was basically like busking. Hell yeah. uh, I did that. I did that show. But then the next day I did, I headlined three shows where tons of people were there. So it was a whole 180. I've literally, and like I said, I was going to profusely compliment you like I did last time. For the first uh, part, and I was—I've been telling people about you, and I'm saying Taylor Clark what is going to have me? a Netflix special. It's—it's—it's it's, it's gonna happen. Just one last uh, thing about yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, man, put that because, energy out there. Uh, it is an amazing city. To, I mean, I—I I would be literally terrified to do what you did uh, to just show up at a spot in San Francisco and be like, "Hey, I'm gonna tell you my it comedy at your at your spot." Um, but I do have I've a very short. There. Short anecdote about San Francisco and when I went to I skated third in army and uh when I was there it was such a bizarre experience because it was you know everyone's so cool there and so chill and shit and I was uh and that's all I don't know if you've been to third in army but it's a really fun spot oh yeah it's very famous and uh you know speaking of famous I was there and I was like man like everyone here looks so familiar dude I feel like I just know everybody and then I was like oh that's because fucking like literally everybody here is a either a pro or in some way I've seen them in uh, a video or thrasher. I was like, Oh shit. Like me and my friend, we're the only people here that aren't professional skateboarders Yeah, <laughs> at a regular street spot. <laughs> That's how it is. It's a beautiful community. Uh, but you know what? Street vagrants. <laughs> I feel like uh, skateboarding isn't labor. Although I, man, it does come to mind that my favorite skateboard video or in my top 10, at least was manual labor. doesn't matter. Uh, you're here to teach me the spirit of Labor Day. Do you have a 
Labor Day tale to tell? Um, Not a Labor Day, just a Labor I don't know why I said life. that. Do I have anything specifically Labor Day oriented? Uh, no, that's not what I meant. I kind of meant like, uh, remember that time you were telling me how you were like a salesman in New York? Well, I was going to say I've had a lot of jobs. So I've juggled a lot of, you know, different uh, different careers, but I could go into that for as long as you have time for. That's for sure. Hey, man, I would love, I just, that job in particular does, does uh, jump out at me, but. Doing real estate? shit i mean it sounds crazy it sounds like something i've never really in new york it was kind of exciting because i did a rentals most of the world they do sales right a real estate agent does sales which is like you if you sell 10 houses a year you're kind of like killing it in real estate uh well i would do like 10 transactions a month in doing rentals but the process is essentially the same right like you got to get a bunch of paperwork. You got to present it to a bunch of people. You got to put a bunch of money together. You got to get the whole thing approved. You got to exchange keys. You got to make sure everybody's getting what they want on both ends of the contract. It's the exact same process. So I would do like a real estate agent's entire year, like every month. Yeah. And so it was like the lifestyle. (laughs) For for like a fraction of the profits, right? What? For like a fraction of what a real estate, like someone that sells a house makes what? like Exactly. $50,000 $50,000 I would make two, you know, yeah. off of a, off a transaction. So it would be like hustling and I'm a fucking freak show. I'm a skateboarder, comedian, <laughs> white trash piece of shit. Right. So I'm showing up to these appointments with like, essentially, you know, just like wealth, wealthy parents and their children who are going to NYU. Cause that's, oh, most yeah. of, that's most of the clientele. And then a bunch of uh, painters who, also just our graduates from NYU. You just, just like trust fund painters, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but, uh, but anyway, I would show up on my skateboard, you know what I mean? Like smelling like weed and just, you know, like open the doors and, and show everybody the apartments, but everybody really liked me because they're expecting some New York real estate piece of shit to show up some douchebag pressure cooker salesman. And I'm like, What's up, guys? Like, yeah, you know, this place sucks, but, you know, welcome <laughs> to New York. And I would be very honest about everything. Yeah. And uh, and I ended up being like a, a pretty successful uh, rental agent in New York, climbing fire escapes to let people get into apartments and stuff because I'm a skateboarder and a criminal. So I don't give a fuck if the keys don't work. I'll get in there. That's fucking awesome, man. Yeah, I never uh, never really thought about that. I guess like in New York, uh I mean, how often are you really like selling property? Like, I guess everybody lives in an apartment. I tried to sell some property. I never actually closed any deals, you know, but it's a long process. And in New York, these were like buildings and, you know, I didn't really do the condo racket. So all of my deals I tried to make were like for, you know, millions and millions of dollars because they were for huge properties. So, yeah. So if you, if you had sold just one thing, you would have been set, right? Oh, for at least a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, in New York, <laughs> like if you're making six figures in New York, I mean, you're like, you don't have a car. <laughs> you know what I, I almost mean? did a spit take because I was drinking water when you said that. man. <laughs> no, it's that's, you know, that's uh, one of the most unappealing things about New York. Kid, is that that's the make... main thing. If you have a kid, it's like, you have to have a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, like you're making six figures and you can't have a car. Like, why would anyone, why does everyone live there? No offense. Also, by the way, because I actually know that uh, I, I look at the, I look at the, uh, st- the uh, 
demographics of this podcast. And this obviously this podcast is overwhelmingly listened into uh, in California in the United States. And then usually second is New York. But uh, yeah, so I just don't want to insult my New York listeners. Oh, that's fine. Um, I, I get it. Like it's it's the reason I think it's kind of an addictive city. Like once you get there, it's like uh, so many people just absolutely determined to reach the absolute height of their potential. And that's why they're there, like willing to like go through hell and live in a city like that just to be around other people that are doing that and to be in a place where that potential exists, you know? Yeah, that's what it, that's kind of what it boils down to. And I, I still like I lived there for 10 years. I have a house now, a garage where I have like an office and, you know, like we have a little we have, you know, two cars and, you know, and I'm still like, I got to get back to the fucking grind and move back to New York as soon as possible. I, I got to get to like the gapple, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh, I guess it is like your priorities. I mean, for sure. Uh, I mean. Uh, I'm not a person that's spent a ton of time in New York, but I've been there and I was like, this is one of the most exciting places I've ever seen. It's, you know, it's very cool. It's like, and it's so huge. And I had, uh, I've had a, a, a few guests on here that live in New York and they're just like, I had this one guy uh, on here and he's, you know, born and raised in New York. And he was talking about like, there's like tons, shitloads of parts of the city. He's like, I haven't seen them. I've never been to this part of the whole of the city I live in. Yeah. Which is kind of like oh, unimaginable I mean, to me. For sure. Same. But it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's a whole country. It's a whole universe and a planet, like all in one, you know, yeah. in like 15 square miles or whatever <laughs> it is. Like it's, it's a really cool thing. You just gotta, you gotta, you gotta go for a month or two. I was actually trying to leave, I think for the first two years. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, do you feel like uh, the movie Gangs of New York with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is that is kind of like that's kind of still how it is, right? Like, it hasn't changed that sure. much. Whatever you got to tell yourself. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> like that. Cool. New Jack City and it's uh, <laughs> Gangs of New York all, uh, all wrapped up into one. Um, all right, Taylor. Obviously, that was a, like a cool job. Uh, you ever it had a shitty that job? Cool. Fuck, it sucked. I had no. Con it was a. It was a commission job. This oh, okay. is the thing about. If you want to talk about labor? I mean, that's the whole thing. Is like I was getting ripped off. It's working my fucking ass off, you know. And I only got paid if you know, if and when I closed a deal, plus no benefits and any of that stuff. And that's the whole game, baby. You know, it's all on you. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's why like we have a labor department. I feel like I recall you talking about this because like you uh, like a lot of your. Uh, I wouldn't say coworkers, but like competitors were uh, like that. We were saying like the, uh, the the guy from American Psycho that Christian Bale played like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's your typical uh, New York real estate agent is like slick that's backed hair. Yeah, He's got a fucking, he wants to see the watermark on your business card. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, that's like and I knew dudes who were like that. You know, you run into them. And that's why people were relieved to see a guy with a, you know, a fucking thrasher shirt and a, a bloody nose show up and be like, hey, uh, <laughs> bloody nose because I fell, not because I was on coke. Okay. You know, a different guy. <laughs> oh, man. That's, but, uh, that's funny. Um, and uh, then the I very... was a gymnastics coach. What? I sold. Yeah, I was a gym for like, that's how I, that's how I started in the labor game. 
Oh, is that why you're like so fucking good at skating? Is because you were a gymnast originally or? I don't know if that if that had too much to do with it. What it did definitely teach me how to do was how to fall. Yeah, but I've still, you know, had quite a few injuries, uh, some of which I'll never recover from. But yeah, you know, maybe I'd have more if I didn't do gymnastics. But I worked with kids and I had like a team and, you know, I uh, like got uh, got paid a minimum you know, amount of money and I crushed it at birthdays. Hell yeah. <laughs> Dude, uh, shit, man. Like these are like, it's your, uh, work history is pretty unique and diverse. I mean, I, I just like, I mean, you've only told me what, what else have you done besides be a gymnastics coach and a real estate agent in New, in New York city while, while I, being like a, a full-time skateboarder. Well, I was like the marketing, the, how I got into real estate, I was like, the, I was like uh, my landlord needed help renting apartments in one of his other buildings. And I was like negotiating my lease with him and doing a good job. So he's like, hey, you're pretty good at talking to people. Can you, I'll give you a good deal on this lease if you, you know, go rent apartments for me. And he's this acidic Jew. And I'm just like, again, just some like white trash. I was like, I, I wore like a wife beater, I think, to the <laughs> meeting. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, when Eminem came out, that was popular as fuck. And I feel like I don't see anyone doing that anymore. Like just <laughs> right. walking around wearing a white I was beater. trying to bring it back. It was uh, not a good look. So he hired me. And then he had this huge apartment building in New York in Bushwick, Brooklyn called Castle Braid, which uh, <laughs> he had me uh, like essentially do the same thing. Like I found people to put a website together and we did events and I hosted a comedy show in that building for years and I rented out all the apartments and I was essentially the, like the name on my, the, the title of my business card was like marketing director, but really I was just the RA of the building, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it was just a bunch of, it was an, an insane experience, but I lived there too. That's where I met my wife and, you know, I, that was like the, probably the craziest job living inside this apartment building, renting apartments, doing events, hosting a comedy show, trying to shred my wife, <laughs> who's not my wife yet. Uh, well, damn Taylor, that's a lot. Well, that's uh, some labor story for you. Yeah. How spooky is that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really spooked out. <laughs> this truly is a spooktacular. All right, man, come on. You, uh, you had to like have at least some job that wasn't cool sounding. Well, the most recent one is I was driving for Uber Eats for like oh, a year. I've done that myself. How did you enjoy yeah. that particular job? Well, obviously it was kind of, you know, a real punch to the ego, real kick to the old dick of my fucking self-confidence. But <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, Overall, I honestly, as a job of all the jobs I've had, you know, I, I used to wash dishes and stuff too. I'm all lawns, you know, like I've always, you know, co whatever, coach gymnastics, all the sales jobs before even I did real estate. I wrote sandwiches around in New York of all the jobs I ever did. It was kind of the best one in that, like, I drove around and listened to podcasts and smoke weed and ate free food and dropped stuff off and got to just turn my phone on and, make money whenever you know i could it wasn't that much but convenience wise like no boss like literally all i have to do is like you know what what the job is go in get the food wait for people have some patience like 
It was great. I, re- I fucking I read like 30 books on audio. I still say read, even though, you know, man, I, I heard. Them. Hey, dude, listening to a book on audio is you're still in, absorbing the information. So whatever. But I do want to say this, man, and I, uh, I don't want to shout out the gig economy because I know it's just terrible. And I know that these kind of companies are uh, abusing their employees in a way, you know, like when people order a $26 taco and, you know, you make two bucks off the delivery. That's uh, outrageous. However, I'm going to agree oh, with you on every company. point because what? They're evil. Oh, evil. Terrible. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Uh, but I, I got into, style. so I didn't do Uber Eats specifically. Companies. I did. I did DoorDash which is, I don't know if you guys have that out in Seattle, but yeah, DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats. Yeah, there's so many of them. Uh, I had been driving Lyft, which I I hated, especially here. I live in Nashville. So, you know, your money's always coming from like uh, very drunk tourists that just like get in your car and like grill you and ask you to stop in the middle of intersections to let them out. It's just like, you know, Lyft was like stressful and the money sucks. It's not actually any, yeah. that much better than uh, just doing DoorDash. I switched over to DoorDash and exactly what you said. I drove around. I listened to music. I listened to podcasts. I fucking started and stopped when I wanted to. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that job. And uh, and then and yeah. one in particular one in particular uh, experience I had that speaking of labor and uh, you know how different labor environments can be. This one actually really stood out to me is I had to go to the cheesecake factory to pick up a to go order for someone. And uh, I was standing where the where the bussers put all their shit for the dishwasher because that's weird. Like that's where it indicated I should be. And the general manager came and started uh, s- screaming at me and being like, "You can't fucking stand here. This is where the blah, blah, bussers go." Blah 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 blah. And for a second, I had a little you know moment where I kind of felt like I worked there, and like and this person was my boss. Yeah, yeah. And then I went, "Wait a fucking second. I don't fucking work here." And then I said, I don't fucking work here. Where do you want me to stand? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, what are you going to do? You're going to call DoorDash and try and get, like navigate that corporate like Good luck, maze to get me fired from a job I don't want. Give it's- me my one star. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I know. Fuck this job. I don't. And also there's 15 other apps. I'll switch to the next one. There, there was, I mean, not too many times I did the job for a year, but there were a couple of times where I was like, got a, like a delivery and the food smelled really good or whatever. And I was just like, you know what? Boom. Turn this phone off. Fucking watching this sunset, eating this fucking bag of Indian food. And I'm going to go home and shit my pants and fucking call it a night. Hell yeah. All right, man. Well, I feel like you and I finally got to the core of the spirit of labor. So. <laughs> is that your fucking button at the end of this is that what we did sure taylor we did. uh shit man i can't i can't thank you enough for coming on the uh labor day spectacular my pleasure that was sharing cool, your experience for having me you're a funny dude uh i just i want everyone to please check out taylor clark comedy it'll make you laugh it'll make you cry even if you don't skate you don't have to skate to love his comedy it just happens to be the reason i found him but Thanks. I don't know. <laughs> I'm blushing. You got me. Uh, well, anyways, man, it's always You're pleasure. Best, man. This always pleasure talking How's to you. How's your podcast going? Sorry, I, I, we should have a conversation outside of this. Oh yeah, <laughs> we should uh, occasionally up. talk, except guests. for when when I ask you to come on my podcast. Uh, this thing's fucking blowing up, dude. I don't know if I told you we're doing like a cross country bicycle trip 
I'm doing the Halloween spooktacular in New Orleans. I'm riding my bicycle from Nashville to New Orleans, where I will be recording the Halloween spooktacular. Wow. Shit, I guess I should plug this. Uh, if anybody wants to help support that uh, gigantic project, uh, you can go to myviewsofmyown.com and scroll oh, down man, just a little awesome. bit, and there's a hit the support the tour button because this will be really, really hard to do. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, hopefully we don't die because we're, you know, we got to like, we have to leave Nash. We're going to ride our bikes through Alabama, Mississippi, the swamps of Louisiana before we even get to New Orleans where we intend to cause a ruckus uh, for the Halloween spectacular. From that point, originally the plan was to ride from there all the way to Los Angeles, California. Uh, but it looks like we're going to have to break this thing in two, just logistically. Okay. So we might do uh, half the tour in one go, half the tour in another go. So what I'll probably do for the second half is fly out to Los Angeles and ride back east to whatever point we stop at on the first tour. And that's the story of my views are my own cross country bike tour. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible, dude. I don't know anything about cross country biking. Oh, it's a, uh, I mean, a lot of it's illegal, you know, like we're going to be definitely like, cause you know, we're carrying like little pup tents, you know, like little one person tents, right. We're be camping on a lot of private property. I might go to fucking jail. I don't know. We'll see, but Hey man, stunting for the podcast, dude. And if it, uh, and if, you know, I feel like Joe Rogan's about to leave a vacuum <laughs> and I'd love to you take his spot. What you think is out of here? Uh, I think he's on his way down. I think that whole uh, that that big stunt he did where he was like, "Yo, I just took uh, you know all this uh, crazy shit and coronavirus isn't real and shit." Well, you know, friends, like, and I don't want to get on a sad point, but you know, I I did lose a family member to coronavirus, and so you know, it I is a very it's too, a very man. fucking people real disease. Out. And so, uh, you know, like I kind of found that even me personally, I, I found that a little bit insulting that he's like. Shit can't kill you. It ain't fucking real. You just got to take vitamin C and fucking uh, Invermectin. And like, also, dude, we're not all like, what is, what, how much money does Joe Rogan fucking have? Like almost a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah if I, I had a billion dollars, I wouldn't be worried about monitor my health and nutrients and every fucking part of my body full time, you know, like, yeah, it's, 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 it's just horseshit for a dude that rich and like healthy and isolated to like talk about like what it's like for other especially people that are just a little bit fucking older or have a uh any kind of sickness dude that's fucking dumb yeah but the same the, the same the know. shit on I, joe rogan podcast it's the labor day podcast but also if he does leave a vacuum i would love to take his place <laughs> yeah i've been saying i'm the new joe rogan for on my podcast too <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I will, like I'll, I know you guys. Everybody's looking for some a new Joe. Let me be him. We could share it. I'll share that with you. Yeah, I mean, there's. I'll take. I'll take a hundredth of his audience. It so was Joe for my has, podcast. That would be amazing. I believe he has the number one podcast in the world. So still, that's what I mean. It's like yeah. I mean, he comes down and he's still number one. Yeah, that's what's crazy. But uh, I don't know. I mean, like, as this continues to rage on, people might start to get more and more like, hey, man, why are you using your platform to, like, harm people? Why don't you just fucking just butt out? The one thing you could say about him is he has he does change his mind on shit, like more than like any other popular figure. So he could yeah, yeah. end up coming around on it. You know, I, the, the unfortunate thing is he's like now the, like the Johnny Carson of our generation like the like johnny carson the way he was a kingmaker of comedians especially yeah joe 
really does have that ability. Like you go on the Joe Rogan, it's like, welcome to like just a million followers or whatever. Like you sell tickets now. Like how, what do you do with it is up to you, but it's pretty incredible. Well, here's a, here's my uh, angle. If you'd like to know my angle. Uh, so, you know, that, uh, that shit bag uh, YouTuber, uh, uh, he's got two first names, Lo Logan Paul. Yeah. So, you know, he like, he goes and he gets into fights with like real fighters. Yeah, we have and, a fight coming up, actually. Oh, you're going to fight that motherfucker? I do. Yeah, I want to fight him so bad. Thing, yeah. I was one. So my thing is I want to fight Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan is famously <laughs> like a, like a jujitsu black belt fucking taekwondo. Like, and he's a big man, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. I don't, you know, like I was, I think I should just get in a cage with him and like see how it goes and see how it uh, boosts uh, my downloads. <laughs> <laughs> well you know you could always just go to uh, move to austin and just wait for him to come out of one of those clubs and get something fucking cooking with them you know just fucking become like one of those like weird freak like news stories where like random second-rate podcaster attacks joe rogan outside of a club <laughs> <laughs> that's nice that you're up to second rate already though good job <laughs> <laughs> you're right the, I like second rate. I'm gonna stay with second rate because second rate, the, I mean that's second place as far as I'm concerned. What are you one notch from first rate? That's as good as it gets. <laughs> All right, Taylor, man. I gotta say, I uh, I know you're a busy man, and I thank you so much for on short notice showing up My for pleasure. the Labor Day Spectacular. Uh shit, man. Have a fantastic Labor Day, homie. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Check it. Uh I'm gonna I gotta catch up with where you what you've been doing since last we talked. Okay. Hell yeah. Dude. Follow along on this cross country trip. This sounds rad. Oh, dude. It's going to be insane. I mean, we're literally just riding bicycles with tents on our backs, like across the country. That's the whole, that's the whole stunt. There's nothing, there was no more thought put into that. Yeah. I we put all the wheels yeah, into that's motion. Pretty incredible. Good. <laughs> I know a girl uh, you should check out, Jessica Watkins, who walked across the entire country. Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah, she's really, really cool. Really cool story. Really That's cool. cool. Her last girl. name is Watkins. Yeah. Yeah. And well, well not Walkins. Watkins. Oh, oh Watkins. Yeah. I thought you said her name is Jeff. That would be a little Jessica Watkins. Yeah. Just walked. Okay, damn it. Watkins. All right. <laughs> uh, shit. I got to do another guest. Taylor. Peace, bro. Peace, bro. Wow. The third guest of podcast past really did teach me a whole lot about Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. Coffee, welcome to the Labor Day Spooktacular, where we believe Labor Day means more than saving up to $200 off the Rock Island VR60 Tactical 12-gauge, 20-inch barrel, five-round shotgun with four free nine-round magazines after mail-in rebate. And, uh, but the reason you're here is because we're trying to find the spirit of Labor Day. Nice. <laughs> uh, we were talking a moment ago and you had said that you hadn't put a whole lot of thought into past labor, but you and I have labored together. As one of my dearest and oldest friends, do you want to talk about that time we had to paint all those uh, duplexes on that street? <laughs> I, I mean what what is there to say about it it was hot as hell and you got attacked by wasps and it was precarious but you know it was it was good money because there wasn't like a boss overlording as much i guess 
<laughs> oh, there's a lot to say about it being like a good labor job and the fact that like yes, we were being paid and on no particular time frame, but there was also like the fact that we were like so like uh bereft of like the actual equipment we needed. Like I don't and, and you were the first one to show me this where you just started stacking uh five gallon paint buckets on staircases to reach windows with a paintbrush attached to a stick. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. That's why so many uh, people in the construction industry like fall off of roofs and stuff. It's just like unsupervised yahoos climbing around and injuring themselves. I, and we I, were those yahoos. We were those yahoos. We we could have died in so many different ways. Uh, and like you were saying, what was that? Like It was like in the middle of July in one of the hottest summers. Uh, I guess we should explain the story. Uh, we both lived on the same street. I was your neighbor from across the street. The people that that owned where we both lived, they owned the entire street. They owned every single house on the street. <clears throat> and there had been like, they occasionally would uh, like once every five years uh, paint the houses. And we made a little like business. We we're like, hey, let's get some fucking easy money because I can paint, you can paint. And we made a business proposal. And we're like, hey, uh, give us $5,000 and we'll paint this whole street. And if you give us an additional thousand dollars, we'll clean the gutters. But moving into it, I didn't realize that like in July in Nashville, especially that summer, that like the uh, the roofs would be so hot that if you weren't wearing gloves, you couldn't touch it with your hand. <laughs> I got I got yeah. a third degree a third degree burn on my ass cheek from sitting down once wearing jeans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a it was a mighty project. Uh... But you know, problem solved, get it done. It wasn't too bad. I mean, we definitely did have a time frame, and it went over by definitely a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just felt like there was like no one to bring the hammer down, though. They were like, "These guys have done most of the work, and how are we going to stop them and their tenants?" <laughs> well, and not to mention that, like, okay, it, it had realistically been painted twice in twenty years, and nobody ever like prepped prepped it before they painted it it really was like that meme where it shows the windowsill covered in like dripping dried paint that's like the landlord special like <laughs> yeah. it really was like uh, 10 coats of paint that had been applied poorly over cracked paint <laughs> i do have to bring this up too because uh you know so I, I guess there were there were 10 houses all together we had to split and mm. or units i guess right we only did five we only painted five of the total 10 we cleaned the gutters on all 10 no I, I mean uh units so 10 units and the reason i bring that up is because you had a special relationship with one particular so we we, we had to decide oh, yeah. like who's who was gonna paint what and fuck with who and there was one neighbor in particular that had once pulled a gun <clears throat> on all, all of us really and the landlord instead of evicting him after the police came and took him to court and took away his right to bear arms all they did is they told him he had to move up the street. So I got, <laughs> I got his house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't what was weird about that We had to paint their front doors. So I had to like knock on his door and say, Hey man, I need your door open so I can paint it. <laughs> and that's like, right. I remember that. Cause you knocked on the door and he opened it and just shot you right in the belly with a shotgun. I know, but I it would have been, <laughs> well, you wouldn't be standing here today if he had had one of those shotguns you were talking about a minute ago. Oh, no, man. Uh, honestly, yeah, guys, get out there. Buy that uh, Rock Island. Uh, fuck. What else? <laughs> I'm selling so many products today. Uh, Rock Island. 
V260 20 inch barrel five round shotgun with four free nine round magazines after mail in rebate. So pretty cool. But that's not what Labor Day is about. Labor Day is about trying to understand the spirit of labor. Wait, do shotguns have magazines? Apparently this one does. I don't know. Huh. Damn. <laughs> I'm not a I don't I'm not a gun guy. Not I just either. know what I just know that I'm promoting the Rock Island shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, shit, dude. Uh what do you think Labor Day is really about? I mean, I don't know. I don't know the the history of it. I mean, I I want to say it probably has leftist roots. Yeah, I would say that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would assume that it's a, a recognition of like just basic human rights when it comes to labor. I don't know. It'd be interesting to know. You know, I was, uh, for the most part, I've never really had jobs that even like uh, acknowledge Labor Day as a holiday in, in the first place. Like, and why would they? Because <laughs> I've grown up in this uh, this era of uh, the the American experience where like Labor Day applies to like maybe people that work at banks and you know maybe a couple other jobs. I'll tell but, you what Labor Day is in fine dining. It's if you sell five of the specials, you get to eat one of their dinners. <laughs> uh, man. Can you, uh, you told me this the other day, you, you found, speaking of like labor, and we both have had to work in restaurants. I, we've discussed it a couple times earlier on this particular episode, but like it is a, a particularly difficult uh, type of industry to be in. And man, people don't, people that haven't done it don't realize that. Um, and I had talked about this bartender I used to work with who said that like, you know, how, how Israel has the obligatory military service. He was saying that America should have obligatory. Oh, yeah restaurant service so just so like just so you know how to act right when you go to a fucking restaurant man true well you know what's crazy though like i haven't served tables in over a year now and i went out to eat recently and i realized that like i was inadvertently doing some of the customer shit that i always hated as a server like the the server wanted to refill my water cup and i held it up and held it out and it's like you don't want to pour water into a cup (laughs) that somebody's holding like you want to set it down on the table and I was holding my cup out like, oh, here, like trying to help, you know, but it's not really helpful from the server's perspective, things like that. And also like they come up to the table and they're like, hey, guys, and you just blankly stare at them like, <laughs> duh, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, the, the I'm going to say the tables I've done, I've done some ridiculously hard type labor, like, like shit, like, uh, like rebuilding a beach after a hurricane and like lifting fucking like rocks and putting them in wire baskets and you know shit that just like sounds like prison labor type stuff and uh that's all has to me has seemed preferable to my time being a server because it's can be so fucking awkward and just and uh man i just uh i got a real problem with people disrespecting me Yeah, I don't know. It's for me, it's always been a trade off because, you know, serving, you can oftentimes make the most money in the shortest amount of time. Uh, but it does come with trade offs. And if, if dealing with and having people be able to get under your skin is one of them, like serving definitely isn't for you. Like, I understand preferring a job where you have like solitude. Um, but for me, it was always like the, the reward factor of it, I guess. And oh, honestly, yeah. like, 
the older you get, at least for me, the less I cared. So like shitty customers, like just over the years, I just care less and less and less about their needs and feelings. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can still do the job, but it's like, I'm not going to go home being like, oh my God, the customer was mean to me. I should improve <laughs> my, my waitering. Like, no. <laughs> See, I, that's like one of these, like, you know, and uh, for people that uh, listen to this podcast, they might remember coffee from episode 21. Uh, one of the most popular episodes we've ever done. Uh, but also like you are like a really like super cool close friend of mine, but we are so different as people. And that's one of like your strengths is that you can deal with that shit. Like you, you could, uh, you could be a server. You can be waiting on a complete just piece of shit person who is like, you know, antagonizing you on purpose and you don't care. You're like, I don't fucking, care. I don't care about this job. I don't fucking care about you. I'm because you're a professional when you when you do anything. Well, and I mean, and honestly, if you do it for long enough, you just follow an order of operations. So, like, customers typically only throw like one of maybe ten different sh shitty types of things at you. And once yeah. you know how to like mitigate that, like, usually you can just make the interaction end as soon as possible. You know. And one of my favorites is to be like, "Oh, you want a manager, not me. Here's the manager." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> That's, that's a good move. I just, I'll tell you, man, there's been like, when I worked in that industry, there would be like times where like someone would like, you know, blatantly like disrespect me. And in my mind, I was like, you know, is this going to be a violent interaction? Like, am, am I going to jail right now? Because this motherfucker can't order his goddamn like, you know, glass of wine or, you know, a fucking steak. Like, you know, can you not order a steak without literally like uh insulting me I, and then i guess some people can't but oh no absolutely not <laughs> it's uh i guess it's like i guess that's why i agree so much with that 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 bartender from back when i was a bus boy when i was a kid and he was like everyone should have to do this for a fucking year just so you just so you get it like get mm -hmm. the idea well and a lot of times like the killing them with kindness thing really works especially if you can not really blatantly, but, you know, steer it towards the direction where other people notice the person being shitty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like magnify, yeah. magnify their shittiness in the small public area you're in and kill them with kindness. And it, it really kind of puts them on a spot. And most people don't want to be like the, the villain, but sometimes they do. Like sometimes there's people in like, they should just be like kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> no, and some people should be fucking kicked out. Um, uh, I do have a story about this. this is uh, this is the boundary? We worked there together. This uh, this particular fine dining establishment has been brought up a couple of times. This is when I was uh, I started out as a bus boy, ended up being like the bar back, uh, and it was so busy. They had an upstairs bar, and this fucking guy, like he like he was this huge. He was huge. I mean, he he had to be like I mean, he was gigantic. He had to be like maybe six eight, you know, two fifty. 250 pounds big fucking guy like i wasn't you know fuck with this guy and he kept like not letting me get by and i had to keep you know bringing booze to the bar getting ice to the bar taking trash at the bar and he was mad because he was blocking the entrance and then uh at one point he shoved me and at this point you know i was like okay i'm what am i i'm not gonna fight this fucking guy and at my job right now also this dude is a fucking like uh giant so I just went and I like I hit up the managers at that time. And this this bar was pretty wild at that time. 
And I was like, hey, man, this dude just shoved me in the fucking bar. Can we kick him the fuck out? You know, like I was trying to be as cool as possible. And I don't know if you recall Otis, but uh, and uh, rest in peace, Otis. He, uh, he passed away, but he was this uh, just big ass, like fucking awesome ass dude. Used to be a professional boxer, ended up being a waiter in his later years uh, through the grapevine. He heard that the dude didn't just like, you know, shove me a little bit, but actually had hit me. And before the managers or anyone could get there to kick the guy out of the bar, Otis had gone in and like busted this dude's face open <laughs> and like blood was like shooting everywhere. Uh, they dragged him out. Like there was like a huge, like fucking like uh, melee. And they dragged him, they threw him down the stairs and they threw him into a cab. And the last thing he said, cause his friends were like, oh my God. Cause he, one of the things he yelled was I know karate <laughs> before they, uh, like before it all totally went down and the last thing is they threw him in a cab and he's like, I didn't even want to come out tonight. So that's my restaurant story. Well, and he was a lot whole fucking thing out. <laughs> he, he was a liar too, because it's pronounced karate. It is pronounced karate. Are you, do you watch uh, Cobra Kai? I've watched some of it. I can't, I couldn't fuck with it. Cause like, I didn't like the original movie. Well, it's like, honestly, if you go back, you find out that, like, the Karate Kid himself was kind of like an asshole. Like, he kind of deserved some of it. Like, he was a, he was kind of a dick. And then I like later found out that that dude in real life is, like, a total Donald Trump supporter, too. So I'm just like, oh, shit. I can't, I can't write, I can't be down with the clown. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I feel like maybe we have totally gotten to the core and found the spirit of Labor Day. I think what it is, is uh, you should uh, treat your servers and bartenders with respect. They're people. They're not your fucking servants, even though that's literally the title of their job. Uh, fuck the Karate Kid. I don't know. What, what else did we learn? Um, uh, be careful on roofs. Construction jobs are dangerous. Be careful on roofs. R roofs, roofs. <laughs> I I almost died on those roofs on so many occasions because like I was on so like the roofs were like a frying pan, and you had a better method than me. I think you would like because you kept creating your own tools, which was like really you know innovative. And I think eventually I started borrowing your tools, but you would like create like things that you could. So these gutters hadn't been cleaned in at least five years, and then you yeah. uh you I think you bought a, a leaf blower and like a and you made some kind of like spear to like break up all the plant matter and the well it kept raining too like that's the thing is like i needed a good week where i could like let it dry out and then you could kind of stir everything up in the gutter and then blow it out with the leaf blower i'm sure there's probably better ways to do it but i mean i'm not a gutter guy but <laughs> that's what i came up with was like let it dry out stir up all the dirt and then you can blow it out but i mean yeah it had like little trees growing in it and shit i remember uh so I was doing a completely different method where I just put on gloves, went down to the gutter on these very steep uh, A-frame roofs and would kind of like half lie down on this like frying pan hot roof <laughs> yeah. and dig out the gutters with my hand. And every so often, like I'd burn and kind of move a little bit and start sliding and then look at the concrete below me and realize that like I'm a, potentially about to drop 30 feet onto concrete. And I was like, is this how I'm going to fucking die? Well, that's the thing is that none of it was like death level. It was just like break your pelvis level shit. 
most of it there was a couple so there were some things i uh i recall like at that time i was probably about 60 or 70 pounds like heavier than you and we would do like because we had to do a lot of things where we took these old ladders that weren't like really up to standard and have to put them in an angle to where they were almost horizontal to climb to certain things and they would like bend and like bounce while we were on them and the uh, the one the one where i got stung by all the wasps where, where i disturbed the wasps nest <laughs> that was a solid two-story drop which yeah you're right it could just have been a broken pelvis but you know wrong kind of fall that'd be a broken everything yep yeah i'm you can definitely kill yourself off with two stories <laughs> <laughs> all right well happy labor day buddy and thank you so much uh any final parting words for everyone just to like let them know it's kind of like uh you know what i was trying to do i was trying to like kind of do like the great pumpkin from like charlie brown or like when scrooge figures out like why he should like uh oh you mean like the redemptive moral of the yeah, story uh what is the redemptive moral here because you are the last guest today so we gotta got kind of tie it together of why i even did this um there's more to life than labor there's life to live cool and also I would say that general strikes are one of the most effective methods of bringing the uh, tyrants to their knees. So, and unionizing, and, and, unionizing. The, and inventing robots that can do the work so we don't have to work. Well, that's the problem though, is they keep inventing robots that can do the work so we don't have to do the work. And all it does is create more profits for the uh, billionaire class and they just give us shittier jobs. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's, that's why I, I put that disclaimer in there so we don't have to keep keep working. <laughs> Robot labor. <laughs> All right, what's that? What's that city called? That one they keep trying to invent, like it's like a little utopia, the the, the Venus Project. Is that what it's called? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm familiar with that. They, yeah, they've got a bunch of different ideas about like clean energy and all sorts of stuff. All right, so I guess what we're gonna go go. I, I guess. So I'm sorry, man, you're the final guest of the day. This is where all the morals have to come in. Uh, I guess, uh, first of all, uh, shit, ghosts are real. Um, fucking Venus Project, let's work on that. Uh, get the robots to do our work for us. Treat people that work in the service industry with respect. You shouldn't be disrespectful to people. In, that's, you know, why would you do that? You know, uh, it's important to have hobbies. Sure. <laughs> and you are not your job. Indeed. All right, man. Well, thank you for coming to the Labor Day Spooktacular, where we finally learned the spirit of Labor Day. <laughs> Bye, buddy. I want to skateboard with you soon. <laughs> Bye. And the fourth and final guest of Podcast Past uh, told me everything I ever needed to learn about Labor Day and the spirit of Labor Day. And I hope you learned to, uh, if you want to contact me, go to myviewsaremyown.com or on Instagram at myviewsaremyown underscore podcast or on Twitter at myviews underscore podcast or uh, just go to the streets of Nashville and scream my name. Happy Labor Day.